Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be discussing abortion. That's right. We're joined by Brandon Vaught uh, from Claritas U to talk about how to talk about abortion. It's such a sensitive topic, and there's so much intricacy to it. Brandon's going to be here to talk about the apologetics and how to talk about it carefully. And one thing we ought to be very sensitive on is the dignity of the human person. And it does begin at conception. So let's get started. Good to have you on the show, Brandon. Thanks for joining us again. You're one of our favorite guests. <laughs> yeah, thank you, guys. I think last time you told me I was your most frequented guest, so I, ho- I hope I still have that title. Uh, you have, and I think you're you're furthering the lead with this appearance. So, <laughs> so uh, you that know. may all change very quickly when you finally come up here and beat Delacrosse in a one-on-one match. I don't know if he'll ever be able to handle you know moving forward in friendship after that. Yeah, Jimmy Aiken needs to pick it up if he wants to even come close to you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so today we're, we're having Brandon on because there's a topic that we've wanted to discuss, and we've talked about it in the context of other episodes, but we've never done a full episode on abortion, on 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 how pro-life that we are. Mm-hmm. Because and, and a, how to discuss it, you know. Like, and that's exactly yeah. why, because it's such a difficult subject to discuss properly, to be charitable, but to be clear what the church teaches mm-hmm. and what both the the biological and the and the theological reasons are to defend life and it's something that we've we've prayed about and contemplated but we've never found the right kind of um i guess action plan or the talking points to really do it justice and we didn't want to do something so seriously without a deep preparation and then Brandon has this great new book out uh how to discuss abortion and we saw that and we're like this is the perfect opportunity because number one this book is geared towards teaching people how to discuss this difficult topic and i thought it'd be a good opportunity for us to learn something and discuss it as well yeah one of the things i appreciate about you brandon is uh and the god's work and what you're doing in the church is that you know a lot of people don't understand how to talk to people about certain things it's like we believe this we talk over each other there's no meaningful engagement there uh, which is, in, a, in many cases, very, a very natural thing, a very human thing. But uh, what I appreciate a lot about your work is that you help people and guide people that really care about acknowledging these things around the people that they're, you know, um, the circumstances and the people that they know and love. Uh, so, yeah, really appreciate it. Really looking forward to, to diving in a little bit. Yeah, pastorally speaking, you know, I, I speak on abortion, you know, regularly, most certainly every year, um, you know, when, when we ever come up to the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Um, and, you know, the dignity of human life needs to be kind of <laughs> through every single yeah, homily yeah. that you, you that you preach. Um, but it is very important to exercise pastoral sensitivity because no matter when I, I express anything in, in respect to abortion, 
there is most certainly going to be people in the community, in the congregation that have suffered the results of an abortion mm -hmm. um, or have participated in abortion. Yeah. So I always invite greater healing mm -hmm. and I always invite pastoral care. And I try to isolate in, in the sense of someone sitting in the congregation, I try to enter into their, their mindset so that they could hear me express to them, hey, come and talk to me. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I don't want you to be alone after a decision like this. So that, that is every single time I touch on abortion. This is not trying to win an argument. Right. This is not trying to score points. This is trying to <clears throat> discuss something that is culturally acceptable, but is also intrinsically against how we as Catholics view life. And then that's why it's so difficult. And it's, our country is so divided on this. So Brandon, well, how do we discuss abortion? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. First of all, thanks guys for for having me. It's delightful to be back here again. I love hanging out with you guys and talking about important topics like this one. Um, you know, there's there's topics for Catholics that whenever they come up in conversation, we get nervous, anxious, tongue-tied. We just hope the discussion turns in another direction. And for many Catholics, abortion is one of those topics. It's not because Catholics don't know what they believe about abortion. Most Catholics, at least ones that are faithfully practicing recognize that abortion is wrong, that it involves the intentional destruction of an innocent human life, but they nevertheless are not eager to, to argue about it with other people or discuss it with other people because they're worried they're going to raise the temperature in the conversation, they'll ruin relationships, they'll get in uh, conflict and turmoil, and so they, they don't talk about it because they're not confident about how. Um, so that's what I've devoted a lot of my work to over the last several months, especially in light of the recent Dobbs versus Jackson case. Most of our viewers will be familiar with that, that last year, 2022, Dobbs versus Jackson effectively overturned Roe versus Wade. And it, what it did was not make abortion illegal throughout the country. It returned that discussion to individual states. So each individual state now has the authority to pass abortion laws, whether permissive or restrictive. And so it's really critical. You could argue maybe now more than ever in the past 50 years to be having these discussions at the grassroots level with friends, with coworkers, with loved ones. It's at the local level that the abortion uh, movement is going to be either strengthened or weakened. So that's why uh, I wrote this book. Again, uh, Ryan mentioned earlier, How to Discuss Abortion, which, by the way, um, the whole reason I wrote this book was to give it away for free. So I'm giving away free copies of this book. Uh, it's a real paperback book, not a download, but I'm giving away free copies. Maybe, um, Ryan, you can throw the link there in the, in the show notes. But people just pay shipping and handling. But otherwise, I pay for the book. My goal is to help more Catholics become comfortable and confident discussing this topic. Awesome. That's excellent, Brandon. Yeah. As, a, as a priest, brother, you know, we're constantly, especially pastors, we're constantly looking for resources to put in the hands of our parishioners to accompany them through Lent, through Advent, through Christmas, through Easter, so that they're enriching and coming to know their faith in the beautiful splendor, uh, the very Tati splendor, the, yeah. the splendor of truth that we experience in Jesus. And as a pastor, thank you so much for your hard work, specifically in this area, because as we were talking about before, the threat of the dignity of the human person needs to be proclaimed from the pulpit day in and day out. And this resource, I am most confident, knowing you for so many years, is going to be great content for people to digest and apply. 
Yeah, th- thanks for bringing up the uh, Roe v. Wade decision because when that decision came through, the media uh, hyped it up as a, as a ban, as all these things, and it, the polemic talk, right, that comes from both sides. And and in reality, what happened was there was just a, a redistribution of this law that was errantly written by the Supreme Court years ago, which it's not their duty to do so, and given back to the states, which is primarily the, 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 the way that the federal government should be operating in many ways, mm-hmm. right? It's like there, there's no federal way to decide all these. That's a good thing for law in the United States, too. Yeah. Like and the subsidiarity. Pre- like, the, thank the, God. Right. But that precedence is go- going to be used, I think, to help you know, um, our, our federal government step away from a lot of things that, that they, they need be to. doing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But what it has done is it's taken one large national conversation and turned it into 50 sidebar conversations, right? Mm-hmm. And those 50 sidebar conversations now turn into millions of individual ones. And that's why this book right now is so important right. because now you're going to have Excellent individual yeah, states and communities yeah. To, yeah. Be, to be talking about this. So, Brandon, how have you structured this book? How do you structure this conversation? Do you maybe start with the objections or do you start with, you know, the dignity of life? Or where where would you even start? Let's say, hypothetically, we're talking to somebody who is a very ardent pro-abortion individual. How do you even open this conversation, say it's a family member? Yeah, the, the strategy that I encourage throughout this book is to ask a lot of strategic questions, not just questions seeking information, but questions that drive the conversation in a particular direction. And I share lots of examples of those types of questions throughout the book. Um, the first and I think central question of this whole debate is the question, are the unborn human? Are the unborn human? Um, everything revolves around that question because most pro-choice supporters will deny that whatever is being aborted inside of a woman's body is not a real human, that it's either less than human or it's not human at all. Um, so that's the key question and the key thing you want to convince the other person of, that the unborn is human. Um, I lay out a strategy to do that uh, in less than 10 seconds. Uh, it's something I learned from uh, the pro-life apologist Steve Va- Wagner. It's called the 10-second pro-life apologist. And he has three questions. First, if it's growing, isn't it alive? Second, if it has human parents, isn't it human? And third, human beings like you and me are valuable, aren't we? Three simple questions, but those get at the root of this whole conversation. If it's growing, then it's alive. Any organism or, or uh, any being that is, is evolving or changing or growing must be alive. That's the distinction between dead things and live things. So whatever this is, call it a fetus, call it a child, call it an unborn human being. If it's growing, then we know it's alive. That's undeniable. Second, if it has human parents, then it must be human. And if the other person would deny that, you can say, well, then what species is it? If it's, if it's growing, it's a living being, but it's not human, what species is it? There's no logical alternative. It must be a human living being. And then third, the key twist is human beings like you and me are valuable, aren't we? We've seen throughout history the problems of taking one class of human beings and saying, well, they're not fully human or they're less than human. You know, think about slavery, think about the Holocaust, think about um, the civil rights movement. Anytime you take a, a group of humans and you reduce their humanity, violence and injustice inevitably erupts. 
So those are the three questions to keep pressing. There's many more that I, I share in the book, but I think that's the best starting point is helping the other person see that what we're talking about here is something that's alive, something that's human, and because it's human, it must be valuable like you and me. Uh, I saw the comedian Bill Burr, and he's he's got all kinds of things around him, and he's not a Catholic. He's actually kind of anti-Catholic, but he did this, this bit on abortion, mm -hmm. and he's like... He's like, I don't know. I think I think these are babies, if we're being honest. He's like, let's use the analogy of a cake. I take all the time, I put all the ingredients in, I put it in the pan, <laughs> and then I put it in the oven. And then someone comes in, takes the pan out, and throws it across the floor. And you're like, hey, man, you just ruined my cake. He's like, that wasn't a cake. He's like, well, it would have been, <laughs> right? And I think right there even shows that what you're talking about, what species is it? Is it alive? And is it valuable? Yes. You know, and all those questions are logical, but what if people say, you know, where in that does it maybe break down? Like, okay, I know it's a human. I know it's growing, but it's permissible up to a certain point. You know, they can always make these equivocations like, <clears throat> well, up to three months, it's, you know, it's a baby, but it's not really, can't feel pain. Or up to six months, you know, I mean, it's not viable outside the room. Or look, in the first 24 hours, I mean, you just take a pill and it goes away and it's never even split past, you know, four cells. It's a zygote. You know, how do you answer that kind of objection to, I guess, the qualification or maybe the the um, the growth of it that says, or even some people say, well, the medieval people believed in soulment happened at birth or any of these arguments. You know, how do you respond to those? Yeah, lots there. Um, let me real quick nip the medieval thing in the bud. That's a common uh, objection. It's untrue that medieval theologians or philosophers believed that that um, children didn't have souls until they were born. Um, a lot of the scholastic theologians relying on Aristotle believed that they had a soul from the moment of conception because that's what a soul a soul is. A soul is the animating spirit that gives something life. So if something's alive, it has a soul. Uh, what what they questioned was whether they were whether they developed a specifically male or female soul, and a lot of them believed that that happened later during the development process. But they all believed that that they had a soul the moment they were alive, which is the moment of conception. Um, and even the, theologians like Thomas Aquinas explicitly rejected abortion. So to, to use people like Aquinas and using the insolment argument as a case for abortion. He'd, he'd find it nonsensical. That said, um, all the types of objections that you raised before that of, well, you know, uh, an unborn child ha hasn't reached this level of development, therefore, maybe it's permissible to abort them. Whenever I hear these sorts of objections, I like to employ a strategy called trot out the toddler. Um, and I lay this out in the book as well. Trot out the toddler. It's a form of argument in which you take the same premise that the pro-choice person offers and apply it to a two-year-old. And you help the other person see that it's absurd to apply to a two-year-old and therefore you shouldn't use it for an unborn child as well. Let me give you an example. Someone might say, well, the unborn child is completely dependent on the mother. It cannot survive on its own, at least up to a certain date. And therefore they're not fully human or it's permissible to abort them. But you could say, well, okay, take take a two-year-old child, you know, take a mother living with a two-year-old child in the middle of the woods. The two-year-old child is utterly dependent on the mother. If the mother just left and ran away uh, and left the two-year-old there all by itself without any other help, 
the child would die. We just know that inevitably. Um, or, you know, ramp the age down to six months, whatever you want to do. But the point is, just because a human being is dependent on another human being, that's not justification for killing the dependent human being. And we would all recognize that in regards to a six-month-year-old, a one-month-old, a two-year-old. And so we should apply the same principle to the unborn as well. The level of dependence is not an excuse to abort uh, an innocent human being. The same goes for the development of other faculties like um, cognitive capacity. People will sometimes say, well, you know, their brains aren't fully developed yet, and so maybe they're not fully human yet. Well, scientists tell us that human brains don't fully develop until people are, are in their mid-20s. And so this case, line of reasoning 40s. would... Uh, <laughs> or, yeah, or in our case, my, never fully developed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but, but we would all recognize that that's not a justification for killing a teenager or a 20-year-old. Um, so it's, it's bad logic for, for killing an unborn child as well. So you see what I'm doing here. This is what's known as a reductio ad absurdum. It's a type of argument where you take a person's premise and you show that it leads to an absurd conclusion. And therefore, if you don't want to accept that conclusion, you reject the premise which caused it. And that's what we're doing here with the abortion conversation is to show most of the reasons people give to justify abortion would also justify killing a two-year-old. But since we wouldn't kill a two-year-old, those, those can't be good reasons for killing an unborn child either. You know, Brandon, the fruits of your academic disciplines and your knowledge of philosophy and theology are shining forth beautifully and Aristotelian logic. You know, so my heartbreak is that I was introduced to it at Ave Maria University, in my undergrad studies. But prior to that, being a public school kid, I was never introduced to any form of theology or philosophy or deductive reasoning or critical thinking or just logic itself. And I love the fact that you're touching on Aristotle and some of these principles of philosophy, but to people who have no sense whatsoever of, of these realities, it's just sometimes it seems like conversationally, it, it, it could be a mute point. So how, how can you break that down even more on, a, on an elementary level um, and, and, you know, in some of the fruits of your conversations and dialogues that you've had over the years? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting into much denser philosophy here than I do in the book. This is all maybe the underpinnings of the strategies that I share in the book. What, what I like to do in the book is share conversation strategies. So if the other person says this, here's how you should respond, or here's another question you can ask in response. I mentioned at the outset, strategic questions are the best approach. So I like to ask the other person, um, if abortion comes up, well, what do you think about abortion? Just ask that general question to start off with and let them set the direction of the conversation. They might say, well, um, they might espouse what is the most common view in America, that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Safe, legal, and rare. We've all heard those terms. So you can say, okay, well, why should it be rare? You know, what, what about abortion makes you think that it should be rare? That means that in most cases, you think there shouldn't be abortion, but in some cases, you think it's permissible. Tell me what's the difference there? And again, let them express, um, maybe they have discomfort with the idea of abortion in general, but they think in certain hard cases like rape or incest or when the health of the mother's in jeopardy, it should be allowed. Maybe they think uh, just in, on the principle of freedom, we should allow abortion. Ask questions so you can get a sense of what the other person's main objection is. And then from there, hone in on that objection and start asking probing questions that poke holes in it. And again, I, 
I share dozens and dozens of these questions in the book. Um, but what, what you want to do is I think what very few pro-choice people have done themselves, which is to reflect carefully and logically on what abortion actually is and the dissonance between being pro-abortion but anti-killing young born people. I think that's that's the big uh, dissonance that you want them to feel. You want them to have cognitive dissonance and and feel uncomfortable when they realized, uh-oh, you know, I'm supporting abortion for these reasons, but those same reasons would justify killing born children. Something's got to change. Uh, I've seen many people get to that uncomfortable point. And I've heard from many people who say it was that discomfort that led me to reevaluate my views about abortion. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, it's uh, just hearing about some of this logic um, in, in the particular case that you mentioned. I mean, I can't help but to think of the mantra that they um, uh, pro-abortion people put out, which is my body, my choice. <clears throat> and I, I, you know, kind of using that same you know, logic, logic structure. Um, you know, I, I don't know how I would deliver it, but we're, we're told to do it. We're told what to do with our bodies all the time. Like, I mean, like the government imposes penalties, jail time. If you, your body <laughs> goes and steals something, well, then that's wrong. Our society has mm -hmm. acknowledged that that's wrong. And, and so the government is telling you don't do it or you will be punished. Right. So uh, when I see my body, my choice, I always think like, well, you, there's a lot of things that are telling you what to do with your body that you, you know, resign to. Right. That you, um, you know, that you do and and you do it gladly in many cases. Right. So uh, obviously it takes away the the person that's in the wound and uh, the acknowledgement there, it, it kind of moves out to, you know, more of like a healthcare thing. Like I'm doing this with my health, you know? Um, so I'm kind of curious how we would, would deduce that in the logical structure. Cause I haven't ha had much. See, uh, we don't know how to discuss that point. Give us some tips you know, here on this. Yeah. So in the book, I, I list out 10 common pro-choice objections and I teach people how to respond to each one of them. And this is number one, my body, my choice. A woman should choose what she does with her body. Nobody should tell her how to choose. Um, the best angle of, of response is to acknowledge that, hey, in general, a woman does have full control of her body. There are some limitations, as, as you just said, and you know, we know that this isn't an absolute right to do whatever you want with your body. Um, but in general, a woman should generally have control of her body. The problem here, though, is we're not talking about one body, but two bodies. And that's what you want to emphasize is that the the organism growing within a woman is not part of her body. It's not like her arm or her leg or her kidney. It's a distinct human being. We know from the moment of conception that this new living organism has human DNA, so it's human, but it also has DNA that's distinct from its mother or father. It's a new, unique human being. 
And so even though it's small, even though its body doesn't look like a grown adult's human body, it's still a human and it still has a body. And so we're talking about two bodies, a body within the woman's body. A woman doesn't have the right to use her body to harm the body of another person. And again, if we zoom this out beyond just the unborn child to born people, we all recognize this rule. We all agree, look, I, I have a right to do what I want with my body, but that doesn't include a right to punch any of you. That doesn't include the right for me to harm another person's body. But if that's true with born people, it should apply to unborn people as well. That yes, generally we have a right to choose what we do with our bodies, but that is not an unqualified right and it doesn't include the right to harm other bodies. Yeah, I mean, and you'll see a lot of these personal bodily autonomous arguments being broken down today. Well, the government outlaws, you're not allowed to take certain substances. You know, you can't you can't do fentanyl or heroin. That's your body. It's my choice. I put anything I want in my body. Government says no. Most people will generally go along with that, although there's the general movement to de, uh, decriminalize all drugs. Uh, I think the same thing can be said about prostitution. It's like, no, society generally says, no, you cannot sell your body. It's your body. I can sell whatever I want. Can't do it. And I think society generally, although you'll see movements to legalize that as well. And I think a lot of that also will come from the same kind of a societal group, some of the same, the logic is that they're trying to break down any of those types of things because they all play together. Look, if you're against, you know, uh, narcotic use, or if you're against prostitution or abortion, they say those are all things that you should be allowed to do. So I don't even think those kinds of arguments hold water anymore because they'll say, well, I think drugs and prostitution be legal. My body, my choice, absolute freedom of the body. But absolute freedom is not freedom. Like John Paul II said, freedom is not consisting in doing what you want. It's consisting in doing what you ought. And I think one of the things that breaks down and becomes illogical in a lot of these debates on societal issues is that people no longer really even care about logic. They don't really care about, oh, you're right. And they're like, maybe you're right, but I don't really care. But they don't even care about others. That's what I mean. And it's like, <clears throat> it's like all they care about is themselves. Yeah. And in a relativistic type of an environment, you know, and, and as long as you don't hurt me or your decisions aren't affecting, you can do whatever the heck you want. Well, you, left ungoverned and left, you know, without Unbridled. law, the <laughs> yeah. human person, like, societal decay, yeah. like, and chaos. And it's just almost like, like what we have going on. <laughs> well, yeah. it's definitely yeah. moving in that direction. Yeah, we think is. it's bad. We think it's bad now. But I mean, the, the materialization of what we're talking about in, in the continuation of a relativistic structure is utter destruction. Mm -hmm. And and you know when when we're talking about this and Brandon I just want to express like how appreciative I am of how clear you are in your teachings and all the resources we've ever looked through and and the the books that you've sent me personally it's so approachable and and that's what's so refreshing and the fact that this is going to be free and in the hands of Catholics all around the globe all around the country is going to be very very important for the continuation of what the church ought to be, which is an instrument of unification, of solidarity, of realizing the reverence that's due to the human person. And you re you mentioned John Paul II, you know, personalism, his teachings on the human person, on, on familiaris consortio, the institution of the human family. Mm -hmm. No human being, like uh, Fulton Sheen too, you know, the priest is not his own. No human being is his own. 
You know, we are a communal people. We are a societal people. In Aristotle's terms, we are drawn to the polis. We are people ordered and inclined toward this kind of politic, this sense of, of being driven together. Because why? We depend on one another. But there has to be a sense of order. Yeah. You know, John Paul II in uh, Evangelium, um, what is it? Evangelium Vitae, uh, expressed the deepest element of God's commandment to protect human life is the requirement. I love this. The requirement to show reverence and love for every person and the life of every person. And, and kind of tying back into this kind of principles of, of, you know, the source and, and the very beginnings and, and the first movement of human life, it begins with a man and a woman. You know, whether it's out of wedlock, in wedlock, or whatever you, it's it's a communal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a lot of what we're seeing fundamentally in the problems that we're seeing societally is a rejection of society and accountability to others. Mm -hmm. You know, we see that because it's become individualistic, and the societal good is no longer important. It's no longer, as a society, we reject this, and we live in unison on this, and that individuality is driving the dissolution of society, which then permits things that society as a whole used to reject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you guys that we've become a much more individualistic society. Um, but in my experience talking with people, they still recognize even the most libertarian person who thinks each person should be free to do whatever they want with almost no restrictions. Even that person will recognize the principle, we shouldn't harm other people. We shouldn't harm other people. And that's at, at least the small kernel of, of truth that you can use to then get them to see the, the immorality of killing an innocent human being in the womb. Um, at, for example, I've had this sort of conversation with people is they say, you know, if, if people want to have abortions, have abortions. If people don't want to have abortions, don't have abortions. Doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me. People should be free to do whatever they want. And I like to ask them, well, suppose, suppose it was you, suppose you were the, the unborn child. Um, would you still have been willing to allow your, your mother to freely choose whether to abort you or not? And a lot of people haven't put themselves in that position for them. Abortion is an abstraction, you know, aborted children are abstractions, but to think, think of you personally, that this principle that you're resting on could have meant that you didn't exist that your life never would have seen the light of day. Um, that's, I, I think, a, a moment where a lot of people pause and reconsider their basic principles. Again, they think, well, okay, you know, in general, people should be free to do what they want, but not that. They shouldn't be allowed to harm other people, much less kill other people. And again, that's an open door to, to the abortion conversation. You know, one of the things that in this book... And this is, I think, a really important chapter because this is where it starts to get very uncomfortable to talk about. And these are ones that are even really well-versed Catholics have a hard time refuting or discussing. And these are some of the more difficult scenarios where abortion is, 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 is you know, societally permitted, even by most people, and this, these exceptions, rape, mm -hmm. incest, catastrophic genetic disorders, mm -hmm. uh, the unviability of the child outside of the womb, or... Health the, of the mother. The health of the mother. These are all like kind of presented as 
gotchas. Like, well, look, you have to at least agree with this. And even most politicians who say they're very pro-life, they're like, yeah, but these, mm-hmm. you know? Those are difficult because it's like you, if you say, yeah, but I still believe, you know, yeah, the mother should die so that this unborn baby can be born. I don't care if this child was raped at 10 years old, she should have the baby. And you look like societally a monster for having that. And there's, again, it creates, you were the, you used the word dissonance before. I think this is an argument tactic by the other side to create cognitive dissonance in the pro-life side. Mm-hmm. So they're using the same kind of a great point. logical tools that you're using, Brandon, against us. So how would you, how would we respond in kind to that? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought these up because for many Catholics, this is where the rubber hits the road. As you say, it's easy to explain how uh, abortions and cases where a mother just doesn't want the child, you know, are, are wrong. Most people would would come to see that logic. But when it comes to these hard cases, rape, incest, the health of the baby, the health of the mother, what about those? Those tug at our heartstrings. We feel obviously much more sympathetic to women in those situations, in these very difficult situations. Here's the first thing I recommend is you want to recognize that for many pro-choice advocates, these so-called hard cases are often smoke screens. They want you to permit abortion in those hard cases, but really what they want is abortion for any and all reasons. And so the question I like to respond with is this. These hard cases, again, rape, incest, health of the baby, health of the mother, generally make up about 4% of all abortions. So 96% are what we might call elective abortions. They're done just for reasons of personal preference or um, desire, not because they're forced through one of these hard circumstances. So I would ask the other person, let's say, just for the sake of argument, that I agreed with you that abortion should be permissible in these 4% of hard cases, would you then agree with me that in the 96% of other cases that we should prohibit abortion? And in most cases, the other person will say, well, no. And then that's a tip that they really just want abortion in 100% of cases. And therefore, you can discuss abortion in general and not just on these hard cases. So that's an introductory strategy is see if it's just a smokescreen. And if it is, then you can get to some of the arguments I laid out before about abortion in general and not have to dwell on the hard cases. But real briefly, just to walk through each of these. First, rape. I think this is the hardest one. This is the most difficult scenario to consider. A woman is impregnated against her will by a rapist. Um, She discovers that she's carrying the child of her rapist. Should she be forced to give birth to that child? It's a horrific situation. And I think any Catholic of good sense should begin by expressing compassion and sympathy for the woman. The woman is the victim, unquestionably. And she's not a monster for wrestling with this question of, of what to do with the child. Um, we should recognize it's a it's a terrible circumstance that it it angers you as much as it does the pro-choice person um, that rape is never her fault and that the the person who inflicted this honor should should be punished to the fullest extent possible. Having said that, having said that, um, it's not right to victimize another person because of the crime of the rapist. Killing the unborn child who is innocent, who did nothing wrong, does nothing to alleviate the injustice of the rape. 
also sometimes you'll hear a woman say um, or a pro-choice advocate say, well, um, can you imagine the psychological harm it would do to this woman to be carrying this child of her rapist who she would be forced to remember and recall every time she looks down at her pregnant belly? Again, pulling on the, the emotional heartstrings that we all feel. But you can then use that strategy I mentioned earlier, the tried out the toddler, to say, well, let's suppose this. Suppose that a woman was raped, she became impregnated, she gave birth to the child, she heroically decided not to end this child's life, but to give birth to this child. However, around the child's two-year birthday, she starts to realize that the child's features are becoming more and more like the man who raped her. And the psychological trauma is increasing. She's seeing in the face of this child the man who violated her. Would that be justification for her to kill the two-year-old? And again, most of us would say, well, no, that'd be barbaric. You know, of course, a woman shouldn't just be allowed to kill a two-year-old for that reason. But then you can ask, well, but then why should it be fine for her to kill the child before she's born? Um, in that case, uh, the, ch the child hasn't even been raised by the woman yet. Perhaps the child could be adopted to be raised by somebody else. But um, you would think that a woman that's traumatized before birth would be equally traumatized after birth by the child. And in neither case is it a justified circumstance for killing the child. So that's a beginning way to answer this. There's a lot more that I cover in the book. I devote several pages to this objection because, again, in my book, the hardest one, the most difficult thing you can discuss is this scenario of a woman who's raped. If there's any circumstance that would justify an abortion, it would have to be this one. Um, yet, in the book, I help people to discuss how even in this case, even in this case, we shouldn't kill an innocent unborn child who did nothing wrong, because um, that's not going to alleviate the situation. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, I had a um, uh, one of my youth group members years ago, she was uh, she was born, she was conceived out of rape. And, um, and then, you know, being the fact that her, her mother told me the whole story. You know, a lot of in a lot of these cases, the mentality is imposed upon people who have suffered such trauma. Mm -hmm. And and I see that in, in a lot of different uh, situations. Like when when adults look at the way the children are processing death, for example, we impose the way that we're grieving on the children and the way that we're looking at death in, in relationship that the children are going to look at it. it you know. The sensitivity that is deserved for anybody that goes through rape or or any other form of trauma uh, deserves pastoral care in and of itself because of the dignity of that human person and the love that Christ calls us to to, to minister to them. Um, but the interesting thing for, for me pastorally is that never was it the case that that type of mentality was presented by this woman that I'm, I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. And um, the way that this particular girl lived her life faithfully and was raised by her mother was just such an inspiration to the whole community. And that testimony broke down people's perspectives as it relates to abortion because of the testimony of not only the mother, but the child. And then it's like the value of who she was in the community of, of all of her peer teens was just like, I'll never forget that, you know? And, and that impact will remain with me for forever. You know, a lot of times in this argument, you know, if you think about it, it's the imposition of the death penalty on a child for the crimes of the father. Mm -hmm. Let's say that this rapist 
male had other children. Mm -hmm. Should his children be, his living children, should be they be put to death for his crimes? No. Should this other one be put, who's this unborn? By any logical means, no. But again, this is so difficult. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> sexual violence against women is such a, 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 a violation of everything that a person is mm -hmm. and such a violation of them fundamentally in their created and dignified nature that this is such a difficult one to bring up. And that's why, you know, I, I'm sure, Brandon, that's why you put this as the primary objection, the one that needs to be answered the most. Mm. Um, what about, like, like you said, uh, just briefly on the health of the mother or the health of the baby? Yeah, so the, the health of the mother um, is brought up often in the media, especially. We're often presented with, you know, cases where the mother desperately needs an abortion. If she doesn't have an abortion, then she and the baby will die. And so why can't we just let her have an abortion and then we'll only lose one of the two and not both? Yeah, Me, the, but the often, new slogan is abortion is health care. That's, that's the thing yeah. they've been trotting out the last couple years. Yeah, and it's it's funny in my list of objections, I actually treat that slogan separately. Abortion is healthcare. No, abortion is not healthcare at all. Um, in fact, the the easiest way to disabuse people of this notion is to ask them if abortion is healthcare, which disease is it treating? Which disease is abortion treating? Pregnancy is not a disease, and pregnancy means your body's working correctly. It doesn't mean something's working incorrectly. Healthcare is meant to treat things in your body that aren't working rightly. Uh, so when a woman becomes pregnant, it's actually a sign of health. It's not a sign of, of sickness or disease. So pregnancy is not an illness, and it does not need to be cured through abortion. Um, so abortion is not health care. But in regards to when um, the mother is facing a complicated pregnancy, one of the prime examples of this is what's known as an ectopic pregnancy. This is when uh, the fertilized egg lodges in the woman's um, float, one of the fallopian tubes, and it's, it's not viable. As, as the baby grows, it will inevitably uh, die. So there's no way to have a healthy pregnancy after uh, developing an ectopic condition. And so the, the question is, well, why can't we just abort the baby and save the mother? I should have added, it's, it's a dangerous condition for, for women, extremely dangerous. Um, if the pregnancy is left to develop, it could not only damage the fallopian tubes, but cause, cause death in many cases. Um, this is where I think Catholic ethics really shines because it's very careful and makes important distinctions, whereas many other philosophies and religions don't. And so in Catholicism, we have a moral principle known as double effect. Double effect just says that it's permissible to do something that will result in a bad thing, even if you foresee that bad thing happening, um, if you're not directly intending that bad thing. Uh, so let me, I'll give you the example here of an ectopic pregnancy. If you have a woman who, whose fetus is lodged inside of her fallopian tube, it's permissible under Catholic moral theory to cut the fallopian tube on either side and remove that damaged area of the fallopian tube um, and allow the, the mother to, to live. Now, what's being done is not technically an abortion, even though even though it will inevitably result in the death of the unborn child, because an abortion is the intentional direct killing of an innocent unborn child. But in this case, you're not intending to kill the child. If there was a way to save the mother and the child, you would take it. But in this case, 
you're simply trying to uh, remediate a damaged part of the woman's body by severing and reconnecting the fallopian tube. Um, and it has the, the unintended but foreseen effect of the dead uh, unborn child. And that's where the principle of double effect uh, plays in, because the Catholic Church would see that and say, not only is it not a, an abortion, but it's morally permissible. Is it sad? Yeah, it's it's terrible. You know, it's it's going to cause trauma and pain in a mother who has lost her unborn child. But uh, can we do that to save the life of the mother? Yes. Is there anything morally problematic with that? No. Uh, what what we've learned over the years is that there is no issue. There's no women's health issue for which abortion is the the only solution. And again, by abortion, we mean the direct intentional killing of an unborn child. You can do things that s resemble abortion in some ways, but aren't technically abortions. And that's where I think these, these distinctions come into play and are important. So the, the general response to that is there is never a case where we have to decide between the, the mother's life and abortion. There are cases in the middle, though, where you can do something to save the mother that will unintentionally result in the death of the unborn child. And even that's morally permissible. And we Catholics would be fine with laws that permit that. Yeah, that, that's, I hope my wife doesn't mind me sharing that, but we had an ectopic pregnancy and we had to uh, look at that specific um, mm -hmm. concept of double <clears throat> effect. And she would have died from it. And it, ha and it was traumatic. And we do consider it the loss of a child. We named that child. It's a very difficult thing, but the intent was not to procure an abortion. The intent was to treat a very specific condition of the fallopian tube. And the unintended but inevitable consequence of that was the death of an unviable fetus. It was very traumatic and it was very difficult, mm. but there is, and that is such an important distinction. And I think you know, for women to know that, but the point is that they're to just get an abortion to maybe what what's it when you have a very high blood pressure during a pregnancy? Uh, I forget the term. Um, there's a specific term for it, or any of these other issues. The treatment could cause the death of the fetus, but it can't be. Well, if we kill the fetus, you'll get better. No, let us treat the symptom, uh, let us treat the actual illness. And if it has the effect of killing the child, even though it, it, there there is these middle cases where it's logical, but you have to review this with a real open heart and with mm -hmm. a mind to understand the, the laws of effect and consequence. And to know, you know, the blessing is, is that we have modern media where we could put you in touch and, and there may be people out there right now that are listening to this content or viewing this content on YouTube and they're just overly appreciative for yeah. one, your testimony, Brandon, your explanation and the content of the show. But for everybody to know, too, that in your diocese and in your parishes, you know, the bishop has designated people, moral theologians, bioethicists. There are counselors in every diocese around the globe for you to be able to access and receive support. John Paul II expressed that you are called to stand up for life to respect and defend the mystery of life always and everywhere, including the lives of unborn babies, giving real help. And this is the point that I want to want to draw from here, giving real help and encouragement to mothers 
and I'm going to add fathers in difficult situations. These are these are difficult situations, and we're called to labor in this one work to be able to accompany people. and And I just really appreciate you sharing that testimony, Sheila. That, that touched my heart, man. You know, these are these are very challenging and difficult situations that deserve our thoughtfulness and and counsel. Yeah, I mean, when we introduce our kids, and like, well, how old are your kids? Nineteen and seven. Mm. Oh from a previous marriage or that's a big gap and and that, that that's you know the reason for it but you know you don't say well I'll believe yeah that's in the middle you know mm-hmm. it's not something and but that brings it up a lot for her yeah um, for sure I think the final thing and I don't know I, I didn't get all the way through the book Brandon but do you top touch on maybe the kind of the and you arguments that people say well how many how many orphans have you adopted oh you're pro-birth you're not pro-life you know, there's the economic reasons. There's the resource reasons. It's like, um, well, you, you know, you're not buying diapers. You just want these kids to be born, and then after that, psh, psh, you know, do you touch on any of those kind of tangential or tukokwe arguments in in the book? I do. Yeah, they're they're among the the ten objections that I coach people how to respond to. Um, I also, in addition to those, talk about ones. Well, well, you're just a man. You should, you know, you've you've never had an abortion. You will never have an abortion. You should just keep your mouth shut about this issue. Now, obviously, that only applies to half the people watching this, um, but that's one I've heard too. As a man, um, I think you want to say a couple things in response. Um, first, you want to note that hey, <laughs> I do care for for born women and women that are in crisis pregnancy situations. I think I speak for all four of us here. You know, we've all volunteer, donated, helped, um, the Catholic Church, of which we're all a part, nobody's done more for women with difficult pregnancies than the Catholic Church in America. And so it's it's simply false to claim that we only care about unborn children. Um, secondly, though, I would say, even if that were true, let's just suppose for the sake of argument that we were all evil, uncaring, unsympathetic monsters who only cared about unborn children— it would be totally irrelevant to the question of are the unborn children and do they deserve the rights that all other human beings deserve? It, it really doesn't matter whether I, you know, donate diapers after they're born. That's irrelevant to the moral question of should we or should we not kill unborn children? Um, so I think those are those are some starting points. Uh, I also, maybe as a third tip, like to bring it back to the analogy of slavery Imagine somebody using these same sorts of arguments to defend slavery, saying things like, well, you want to free slaves, but like you're not doing anything to help them after they become free, you know, or you want to you want to free slaves. Well, you know, you're if you don't want slaves, don't have them. You know, why are you passing your judgment on everybody else? You don't have any personal experience of slavery. None of us would find those arguments compelling because we recognize slavery is just objectively wrong. It's, it doesn't matter you know, whether I help freed slaves or whether I've had slaves or not. Slavery itself is intrinsically wrong. And that's the position that, that we're putting forward in regards to abortion is it doesn't matter whether this or that person is you know, morally praiseworthy or not. What we're talking about is whether this particular action is right or wrong for everyone. And that's where the discussion should focus. Mm-hmm. So, guys, Brandon has made a really generous offer, and every time he comes on, Brandon always—I mean, dude gives away a lot of books. He really does. I mean, uh, he's he gives away more books than all those you know little bookshelves that you find around town put together. My whole top shelf next to the fathers of the church is is all of your content yeah. and Bishop Bear. I mean, like it's, 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 it's beautiful. Yeah. Like, so Brandon has put together a special 
offer, you know, and to give this book out to people, to our listeners. And we put that at catholictalkshow.com forward slash discuss. And that'll go right to Brandon's website. Brandon, tell them about this offer that you've made around this book. Yeah, so I mentioned I just released this new book. It's called How to Discuss Abortion with Pro-Choice Friends and Family. It covers a lot of the stuff we talked about here, but in much more depth, and I should say much more clarity and simplicity. I know we were kind of into the philosophical weeds a little bit on a couple topics, but I think everybody will find this book digestible. So I ordered thousands of copies of these books. I paid for them with my own money with the goal of sending them out for free. I'm just asking people to cover shipping and handling in the United States, which is $6.95. So I don't know where else you'll get a free book for six bucks shipping and handling, uh, but that's what I'm sending out. And in addition, everybody that gets a copy of this book will also get a free month of access to Claritas U. We've mentioned that a couple times. It's this massive online platform I've created for thousands of Catholics where I teach video courses on hot button topics such as abortion, but also things like same-sex marriage, transgenderism, contraception, the Eucharist, Jesus's resurrection, many other topics. I think there's close to 40 video courses that I have on there now. So you get a free book, you get access to Claritas U for a whole month, all for just $6.95. So it's a no-brainer deal, and I hope a lot of people will get this book and read it and become more comfortable talking about abortion. Yeah, and... I, I think it's important to note, if you could hold that book back up again, our own Howard helped actually design this book. Wow. Yeah, Howard, Howard. Howard, Howard was involved in this, too. And I know our Howard listeners love Howard more than he loves us. Everybody see that beautiful beard of yours <laughs> so, come over um, here. But Claire, the creative you. genius. Yeah, there's Howard. He helped design hey, that Brandon. book. <laughs> hey, Howard. It's got the, the Howard touch, the Howard mark of approval. Uh, but Claritas U in and of itself is a fantastic resource. Like you said, well, it's got 40 courses. That belies really the depth of it. It is not 40 courses of a video. These are in-depth courses. Mm-hmm. You have all kinds mm-hmm. of experts like Peter Kraft and, and all these great people. And then just like Brandon went through this systematically with us today, he goes through all of these other courses. And I think each course is like, nine hours, 10 hours. I mean, they're very weighty. You go through this platform and you too can be an apologist like Brandon. I mean, Mm -hmm. literally I cheat off of his content all the time when I need to prepare for an episode. Mm -hmm. So Claritas U plus this free book, it's it's really a great offer and we always appreciate it. So again, go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash discuss. The link is here. It's on the screen. If you're listening to it, uh, go to that. You can click on it if you're watching it. Uh, but Brandon, we always appreciate you being on, you know, official friend of the show and our most uh, frequent guest. <laughs> and I don't uh, know, thanks, Sheila, if you're actually you. stealing from Brandon's content or cheating in any way. Well, you know, we're Catholic. I'm, we share I'm things. Giving, and Brandon's sharing this beautiful resource with I, everybody. I'm giving the deferential and proper <laughs> respect for the hat tip I love it. For, I love it. for utilizing the resource that he provides. <laughs> Well, we so appreciate you, Brandon, and all of our followers on all of our social media platforms, you who are listening in on Spotify, iTunes, and all of those beautiful uh, audio services, as well as YouTube. It's such a joy to be able to share the Catholic faith, to share what we believe, and to proclaim it boldly and intrepidly in the world, for the world needs to hear the message of the gospel, and the message needs to be heard through you. So God bless you, and we'll see you next week.